Second Corinthians chapter 8 tonight, we're continuing our series in the book of Second Corinthians, and way back when we started this series, I subtitled this series, A Second Wind, because Second Corinthians could be called a second wind, uh, a book that God wrote through the Apostle Paul to give Christians a renewed energy uh, to continue what God has called them to do, and there's always times in our life where we... Uh, feel like giving up, throwing in the towel, uh, we've lost that edge, we've lost that energy, and, and God wants to give us that renewal, that daily renewal, so that we can continue the fight, continue the struggle, continue to live for Him at a high level. And that's what the book of 2 Corinthians is all about. Now when we dive into chapter 8 tonight, uh, here's, here's what I want us to look at from this perspective. That one of the things that chapter 8 does is that Paul uses the examples of other Christians as an inspiration and motivation to second win. And, and so let's, let's remember that, that, that God in our lives wants to use other Christians at times to come into our life to be an encouragement and an inspiration to us and also in turn... God wants to encourage us and inspire us so that we can go out and encourage and inspire others. And uh, God will do that throughout our lives. And that's one of the things that Paul's talking about here. When you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if I had to say, well, what's the one word that sort of would be the overarching theme of 2 Corinthians 8? It would be that Paul wants to talk to us about generosity, about being a generous person. But before he does that, let me give you a little bit of the historical background here before we dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 8 so that we sort of get the flow instead of just sort of diving in at the deep end first. We're sort of going to put our toe in and go that way for a while here. When people... Now let me back up. I'm not going to use the word people. When, when Jewish people became Christians in this time in history... Uh, just like many people around the world, if they're brought up a certain way or whatever, when they become a Christian, many times their family and friends turn their back on them. They are ostracized. Uh, they, they, are, they pay a heavy price for naming the name of Christ. And so for many of us, even in this room tonight, Part of this is a little bit foreign to us because maybe for many of us, we really haven't had to sacrifice too much when we became a Christian. We didn't necessarily lose a ton of relationships. And, and like in these days, if a person was a business person and they came to Christ, then that many times people in their neighborhood would say, don't, don't frequent their business. Don't support them in any way. So, so financially... Uh, as well as many other things, financially, many Christians came under a heavy burden when they accepted Christ as their Savior. It was one of the crosses, if you will, that they were having to bear by following Christ. And so that's the background, because what was happening here, as we dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 8, is Paul is talking to all these different churches, the churches in Macedonia that he's going to use as an example, the church at Corinth, about taking up a collection as groups of Christians in all kinds of local churches to send back to these Christians in Jerusalem who were now destitute, and they were destitute and poor because of 
their faith in Christ. That, that before they became followers of Christ, they were really doing fine. But, but now that they have followed Christ, many people have turned their backs on them. Many people have turned away from them. And they are very much suffering for the cause of Christ. And so Paul is rallying, in a sense, the body of Christ to say, hey, over here, the, the right foot is hurting right now. So as a body, can we give some attention to the right foot over here in Jerusalem and let's rally around these folks and let's encourage them. Now he starts off then by reminding us about the example of the Jerusalem Christians. They should be an inspiration to us. As well as Christians down through history who whatever culture, whatever situation they were in, when they were willing to take a stand for Christ, it meant it cost them something. And many of them, it cost them dearly. And those people should be an inspiration to us. In fact, if you want to read an inspiring book, but you sort of have to be in a certain mindset. In fact, I can't just like sit down and read this book through. It, it, it's, it's too heavy. And yet it's very challenging and very convicting. If you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, I would encourage you to pick that book up. It's a classic. It's been around for quite a long time. And it, it's really a history of the martyrs of the church. People who gave their very life for the cause of Christ. People who would not renounce Jesus Christ and therefore they were, they were hung. They were, they were set on fire. Uh, they, they were in some way, you know, they, they gave up their lives for the cause of Christ. And so the Jerusalem Christians, really the ones that this collection is being taken up for, even though they're not specifically mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, they're one of the examples that Paul is setting before all of us tonight as we come into the context of what Paul is talking about. But the next group that he holds as an example to all of us is the churches of Macedonia. Notice what he says beginning in 2 Corinthians 8.1. He's saying to the Corinthians, Now we make known to you, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia, that during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy... Wait a minute. That doesn't seem to go together. Great ordeal of suffering and abundant joy? And yet again, Paul is reminding us that as a Christian... Our happiness may be dependent upon our circumstances, but the joy that God gives to us, because the joy is a gift from God, is a, it's, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that the joy that God gives to his children is something that cannot be taken away by the circumstances we go through. It is always present, always there, because our joy is not based on our circumstances. Our joy is based on what is unchangeable, what cannot change. It is to be based on our relationship with Christ, on His Word, on His unchanging character. This is the reason why we can be filled with joy, if you will, have abundant joy, even when, like the Macedonians, they're going through a severe ordeal of suffering. And also, not only are they suffering, but they've also come to a place of extreme poverty. Literally, the word is, they're destitute. They have been reduced to begging. And yet, notice, Paul goes on to say that through all of this, 
they have overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. Wow. In other words, Paul is saying, here's an example for all of us. Here's these Jerusalem Christians who, who have given up everything to follow Christ, and they need help. And then there's these churches in the region of Macedonia, and probably the most famous church in the region of Macedonia would be the church at Philippi, where we get the book of Philippians from that Paul wrote. They would probably be the most famous church in the Macedonian region. He said, and here are these churches. They're going through tremendous suffering for Christ too, and yet they're so full of joy. And out of their extreme poverty, they are just overflowing to be part of this collection so that they can give what little bit they have left for others who probably don't have much less than what they have. The word generosity is simply the meaning of open-heartedness. Open-heartedness. God wants His children, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, to live in a way that is open-hearted towards others. Because one of the things that Paul is going to remind us of is that not only do other people's examples inspire and encourage us, but when you and I live a life of generosity, when we're living for others rather than always living for ourselves, there is something energizing about that as well. Paul's going to make that very clear, that that the blessing of God, that the favor of God is on those kind of people. And that's why even Jesus said in the book of Acts, it's recorded, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And, And there's something very energizing that when you and I, no matter what we're going through, no matter how hard it is, and it's very difficult when you and I are going through difficult circumstances ourselves, get our eyes off of ourselves. And, have the, and, and stop having the pity party for us and to start to look out to others that there are others out there who are suffering maybe just as much as we are with different situations and maybe even more. And, and maybe we just need to, just for a little bit, not totally get our eyes off of us, but to start to get our eyes on others. And Paul says when you and I live in that kind of a way, God begins to build a second wind into our lives. There is something, again, energizing, refreshing, renewing about doing something for someone else, even, and and really, most of all, when I'm hurting myself or when I'm struggling myself. And that's the example of the Macedonians. That's the example of the Macedonians. Now, before I go on without the key to generosity is found in verse 1. And so I want to go back there for just a moment. Because this word is used throughout this chapter, and it's translated in our English Bibles in different ways, which I think is pretty cool, actually, because it shows just how how great of of an idea, if you will, this is with God. The reason the Macedonians could be so generous is because they were allowing, notice in verse 1, the grace of God to basically influence them. And that's really one of the definitions of the grace of God, is God's influence and enablement in my life. That no matter what I'm going through or whatever, that God will dispense His grace. 
God wants to influence me at every turn in my life, and He will give me all the help, all the support, all the enablement I need. As we've said many times, one of the songs we sing around here is, Your grace is enough. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. In the Bible, it says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, later on in chapter 12, His grace is sufficient for me. We sing about the amazing grace of God, the wonderful grace of God. It truly is unbelievable and amazing. And the reason is because it shows us here that the reason the Macedonian Christians were able to be so generous in spite of where they were right now in their life was not because somehow there was something special about them. They were human beings just like you and I, struggling with the same things you and I struggle with, and probably very human and struggling with the fact of giving up and living with an open hand when especially at this point in their life, they would want to be living with a closed fist. I can't give up. I can't afford to give up anymore. I'm destitute. I don't have anything. And yet they were living with an open hand because they were allowing the grace of God to basically just flood over them, to flow over them, to saturate their life. Again, as I've shared before, I believe God's grace is always poured out in our lives as Christians. The the question is not, does God give us the grace to deal with life? The the question more is, do we allow God's grace to influence us? Because if we don't, then we're pushing God's grace away. And the Bible says when we do that in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, we can become very bitter. We can be filled with disappointment and discouragement and all of that when we shove God's grace away. But when we accept God's grace, no matter what we're going through, it allows us to live in a way that you and I could never live on our own. It's, again, one of the evidences of how we can know we're truly a Christian. If if you and I are allowing the grace of God to operate in our lives, then you and I know even on a daily basis that there are things that we're doing, things that we're thinking, things that we're saying or things that we're not saying only by the grace of God. That, that we're able to live in a way that we would never be able to live if it was us that was doing it. But when we know that the grace of God is washing over my life, then we have evidence every day that there are things we're doing, thinking, saying, signing up for whatever that we would never do without knowing that God was influencing us and that we were allowing God to influence and enable us to do it. And so that's why Paul starts out this whole passage on generosity by talking about the fact of the grace of God. That's where it's born out of. Generosity is born out of just God's grace washing over us. Notice in verse 3 he goes on to talk about the Macedonians. He says, I testify... They gave according to their means and even beyond their means. And I think what Paul's saying is, remember, they were, in a sense, destitute themselves. But Paul was saying what little bit they could do, God multiplied it. That's what God does. And and Paul's going to reemphasize this later on in the passage, that it's not a matter of waiting till we can do what we want to do, because sometimes we never do it when we wait till it's what we can do what we want to do it's doing what we can do right there and knowing that we have the faith for god to multiply it one of the great stories in the bible of this is a story of jesus feeding thousands of people with a little boy's lunch and it's the idea that you and i just give god what we have whether it's our talent our treasure our time whatever it is and that we are generous with what god has given us and that we are simply a a conduit of blessing And we just put into God's hands whatever we have because God, remember, will never ask us for what we don't have. Never. 
will ask us for what we don't have. He simply is going to ask us to turn over to him, to surrender to him under his control what we do have, and then let him begin to multiply. And that's exactly what was happening here with the churches in Macedonia. Notice also he goes on to say they did so voluntarily. No one was twisting their arm to give because that's not grace. You see, when you and I give anything and we're generous in our life, it's because we want to. It's because it's totally voluntary, because that's what grace is. You see, that another definition of grace is that, that I, I, someone didn't earn this, someone didn't deserve this. We're just doing it out of the goodness, in a sense, of our heart, because God has flooded our hearts with his goodness. That's what the Bible talks about when it talks about God's grace towards us. We don't deserve Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, but God's grace motivated that act. You see, we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We can't do that. But God's grace is what did it. And that's what happens. When you and I are living under the influence of God's grace, we will just be motivated from within, not coerced from without, motivated from within to just look out and begin to look at others a different way and to live in an open-hearted way, to live with an open hand to the resources that God has given us, even if they're very little, like the Macedonian churches, rather than living life with a closed and clenched fist. He goes on to say, they did so voluntarily, verse 4, notice, begging us, the beggars, were begging to give. Wow. Think about that. The the, the beggars were begging to be a part of this collection. It was like, Paul, don't leave us out just because we're over here and we're poor. We want to be a part of it too. We want to get in on it too. Because notice Paul goes on to say, begging us with great earnestness for the blessing and fellowship of helping the saints. Now, key key here, because this is one of those cool times. The word blessing, or the word blessing, in verse 4, translated my Bible blessing is the Greek word charis, grace. See, don't, don't miss that. that. That what God here is teaching is that when God pours out his grace, that when I then live in, in response to that grace, God, in a sense, gives me more grace. That's what his blessing is. You, many times Christians misunderstand what is the blessing of God. The, the basic blessing of God is more grace so that I can live in, a, in an even greater capacity for His glory so that as I respond to His grace in little ways, He gives me more so that I can get more grace and respond even more. That's the blessing of God. And not only do they want more of God's blessing or grace operating and flowing in their lives, but they also beg to be a part of this collection so that they could have a fellowship of helping the saints. You see, they wanted to join together and be a part of something bigger than themselves. And that's really the desire of every human being, to be part of something bigger than myself. And notice the cool thing here with Paul and with God is that nobody was saying to the Macedonians, oh, well, because you, can only give, you can't give a certain amount, eh, don't worry about it. No, everybody was like thrilled. Because again, it wasn't how much they could give. It was more about 
what they were doing to give anything at all. It was amazing testimony of the grace of God. And more than the amount that was given, the thing that impressed God, the thing that impressed Paul, the thing that he was trying to use to impress the Corinthians and inspire and encourage them was the fact that these Christians in the region of Macedonia were just being open and responsive to God, pouring out his grace in their lives. And notice in verse 5, he goes on to say, and they did this not just as we had hoped, not just as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And maybe that's the key. Maybe that's why they were in the position that they were in, because they had their priorities right. Maybe that's why they were so responsive to the grace of God, because their priorities in life were right. They first gave themselves to the Lord, and then Paul goes on to say, and to us by the will of God. He goes on then in verse 6 to say, thus we urge Titus that just as he had previously begun this work, so also he should complete this act of kindness for you. And here's why now Paul is really writing 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If I can just set again the historical stage for just a moment so that, so that you, you understand where Paul's coming from here and why he's saying what he's saying. We're going to learn in just a few verses that the Corinthians were actually the first church to jump on board with this collection. They, they were the first ones out of all the local churches to go, hey, we'll, we'll be part of that. We want to help out our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem who are now struggling because of their commitment to Christ. So they were the first ones to get in. Somewhere along the line, then, obviously, other churches came on board. The Macedonian churches, other churches in the region. But something began to happen in Corinth over that year to where the momentum, if you will, for what was happening there with the collection and and just making sure that they got everything collected and sent off and that they sort of wrapped it all up and completed it, somehow the ball got dropped, if you will. And so that's why Paul is writing right now. He's going, guys, you were the first ones. You you were the initiators of all this. So, So don't drop the baton now. You're so close to the finish line. You know, pick the baton back up and finish well. That's why he's writing 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, it's sort of that second wind that all of us as runners in in life, just like runners in a marathon, can get to a point where they hit a wall and they just want to quit. Their body begins to shut down and they have to somehow learn to work through that and train through that to where they can get a second wind and keep on going so that they finish. And that's why Paul's writing this. He's saying, guys, you're so close. You were the ones that started this whole thing don't drop out. Man, be inspired by what the Macedonians are doing. Be encouraged by them. And, and whatever you can do, just wrap it up and let's finish it so that we can give this collection, however much it is, to the Jerusalem saints. Because no matter how much it is, it's going to be an encouragement to them. Because then, however little or big it is, it's going to be a reminder to the Jerusalem Christians that there are other Christians out there who've never even met these people, but who through the bond and unity of Jesus Christ care enough about them to be open-hearted with them and share with them. And that's going to be an encouragement to them. Because let's face it, probably the collection, the money that was collected, didn't go very far in reversing their uh, 
way of living, if you will, for a long period of time. But what it did do was give them a second wind, at least for a little while longer. It was a reminder to them, somebody else cares about us. Someone else is praying for us. And you and I are the same way. That when we are going through struggles in our life, one of the things that can give us second wind is when we know and when we're contacted by other Christians who are thinking of us, who are praying for us, who are keeping up with what's going on with us, that's important. That's important. That's what was happening here. So notice, he goes on to say in verse 7, by complimenting the Corinthians, he says in verse 7, as you excel in everything, and I love the word excel, it means overflow. And that's what I believe the Christian life has to be. It has to be living the overflow of what God is doing in my life. That as I allow God to fill me up, and that's what I've got to do. That's why spiritual growth and Bible study and all of that is important. Because I've got to let God fill me up. Then the life that I use to touch others is just out of the overflow of what God's doing. If I don't live that way as a Christian, then pretty soon I get what we call burned out. Because I'm trying to minister out of an empty well. Because I'm not allowing myself to continually be filled up and ministering out of the overflow. That's what Paul's saying about the Corinthians. You have excelled in everything. In your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, and in all eagerness and in the love from us that is in you. So notice now, Paul has used... The Jerusalem Christians is an example, because that's what the whole reason for them taking up this collection in the first place is about. He used the Macedonians as an example, and then, really, Paul and the other apostles are an example too, because Paul reminds the Corinthians, the reason you have behaved this way is because we modeled this before you. We were an example before you, and you're just taken up right where we left off, and we praise you for that. And then Paul goes on to say, make sure that you excel in this act of kindness too. Oh, by the way, the words act of kindness in the Greek language, guess what it is? Grace, charis. See? As the grace of God operates in our lives and we respond to it, God will bless us with more grace. So that we can in turn continue to give acts of kindness, grace, if you will, to others. And the more grace we give out to others, the more grace God will give to us. Because again, God wants all believers to just be a channel. Just a, a conduit of blessing of grace to others. So the more God sees in your life and my life that we are dispensing God's grace to others through acts of kindness and generosity or whatever it is, open-heartedness, God will continue to pour out more grace as long as he sees that it's flowing out. Because God does not want a Christian to ever be a stagnant pool. He wants Christians to always be flowing streams. And that's where sometimes we get sort of clogged up in our spiritual life because we've become stagnant. And there's no flow going on. And in fact, I've used this illustration before, but I, I think it's, it, it's directly related to what we're talking about tonight. I don't like to use the illustration of the Christian life as a cup that you put under a spigot or something and you fill it up. Because again, then there's that idea that then when you empty it, you've got to keep... I like the idea of cutting out, say, the bottom of a cup. 
And I think this is more what the Bible talks about the Christian life should be. Cutting out the bottom of the cup and sticking the cup sideways into a flowing stream and just letting the stream just continually run through that cup. That's what the Christian life is to be about. Not emptied and filled and emptied and filled. That to me is more the roller coaster Christian life that many Christians live, where they're up one week and down the next, and where they feel like they're on fire for God one month, and the next month, man, they're way away. And no, God wants us to learn more consistency, and the way we do that is to, in a sense, tilt our lives to the flow of God in our lives, and just let Him flow through us at all times. Again, just let His grace flow. Notice He goes on to say, in verse 8, I am not saying this as a command. I'm not ordering you to do this. I'm not mandating you to do this. I'm not twisting your arm. And here's why. Because if that's what it ended up being, then it wouldn't be grace. It's not grace whenever someone feels pressured from the outside to do it. We know that God's grace is operating in our lives when we, from the inside, want to do it willingly. Just like the Macedonians. They were begging. The beggars were begging to be part of the collection. Nobody ever put pressure on them. That was evidence of God's grace. So Paul says, I'm not saying this is a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love by comparison with the eagerness of others. He's simply saying, you guys were the first ones in. The Macedonians now have completed this collection. Use them as an inspiration and encouragement to finish what you have started. And then, the last sort of example that Paul uses in this passage, and the greatest example, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. The greatest example of grace. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Talk about a, a verse that, that is so on for, for this week leading up to Good Friday and, and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection day of Jesus Christ we always celebrate every Sunday. Paul says this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although He was rich, literally abounding, He became poor, lacking. For your sakes, Paul says, we are the reason Jesus Christ did this. So that you, by his poverty or lack, could become rich, abounding. We need to stop and think about that. Because we don't, I shouldn't say we, I don't think about that enough. I don't think about the fact that my God, who has been adored since his creation, by his creation. Think about the, the years that he was adored by the angels of God. Was in a perfect place called heaven. And yet, he chose to leave that. And the God of the universe, who is bigger than the universe that he created, chose to squeeze himself into human flesh and lay aside the independent use of his attributes while here on earth to become a man, to, 
to know what it was like by experience to suffer, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to, Jesus even said, not even have a place to lay my head sometimes at night. He gave up, in a sense, all of that for this and allowed his own creation to nail him to a cross for us so that through his poverty, if you will, we could become rich. Wow. That's amazing. In fact, keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians. Go back to the book of Romans for just a moment. This word is used one more time in the New Testament. The word rich that he translates there in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And it's used back in Romans chapter 10, verse 12. And here's what Paul says. He says, There is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. And here's the word translated in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 12, this way. Who richly blesses all who call on Him. Those words, richly blesses, is the same words used by Paul in 2 Corinthians 8-9 when it says he became poor so that we could be rich. Now again, some people look at that and go, well, since I came to Christ, I'm anything but rich. The Jerusalem Christians could say that. The, the Macedonian Christians could say that. The, I'm not profiting materially after I came to Christ. In fact, I'm worse off materially than when I was before I came to Christ. That doesn't mean I'm not rich. I am richly blessed. Because what you and I have in Christ far exceeds anything the world or anything materially we could ever receive. What we receive from God is far more valuable than anything the world could ever give us. And too often, we evaluate and we judge the blessing of God solely on material things. When in the Bible, many times, that's a very small portion of how God views His blessing. God considers us, in the Word of God, richly blessed. Because we are rich in Jesus Christ. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So notice in verse 10, Paul, go, Paul goes on to say, So here's my opinion on this matter, my counsel, my advice. It is to your advantage... And here's where we finally hear that they were the ones that sort of jump-started the collection. Since you made a good start last year, both in your giving and in your desire to give, to finish what you started. That's an important principle in the Bible. That's important to God. That's important for all of us. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about a collection or whatever. God wants us to finish strong, to finish what we started. And how do we do that, folks? We do it by allowing the grace of God to basically get a hold of our lives. 
That's how we get that second win to be able to finish what we've started. Many times as human beings, we all start projects and different things and whatever, and we get a certain way, and then we just, nah, we go on to something else. I think God would rather us live in such a way that we count the cost before we jump in and do something and that we make sure that we've got what we need to finish it and to finish it well before we even start it. I think God would rather us not jump into too much, but what we do jump into, we do it well and we finish well rather than jumping into everything that comes down and not really doing anything really excellently and finishing it out well so as i read and studied this passage one of the things that i think god was speaking to me about was jeff what do you need to do to finish well right now what's that look like in your life right now so paul says in verse uh, 11 of chapter 8 to finish what you started so that just as you wanted to do it eagerly passionately zealously you can also complete it according to your means don't miss that paul again is saying look folks in corinth god's not asking you to finish this collection and try to come up with what you don't have he says whatever you got to give that you can spare give it for notice he says in verse 12 For if the eagerness, the readiness of mind is present, the gift itself is well acceptable. Wow. Paul's simply saying the motivation is right. If the readiness is there to help, if the open-heartedness is there, then whatever you give, it's well received. Which goes back to what I said earlier. Those Jerusalem Christians aren't necessarily going to have their whole life changed by the collection it's taken, but that collection is going to mean more than they could ever imagine when they begin to realize that other Christians in all parts of the world cared enough about them to send what little bit they had left to them while they were hurting. Well, let me go on, and then I'll stop. He goes on to say, The gift itself is acceptable according to whatever one has, not according to what he does not have. See, one of the things that God was reminding me of is that many people, rather than doing what they can do, as I said earlier, do nothing at all, waiting for a time when they can do all they want to do. But Paul urges the Corinthians, and he's urging us, all of us, to do whatever we are able to do now. That's what we need to do. Do what you can do. That's where our faith comes in. We do what little bit we can do, and we know that God will take care of the rest. That's why when David went out to face the giant Goliath, he didn't go out in Saul's armor. He tried to put Saul's armor on and said, it doesn't fit, it's not me. I'm just going to go out as that little shepherd boy with my sling and my stones. And I'm just going to sling a stone at the giant. Normally a stone isn't going to fell a giant, but I realize that when I sling that stone, the power of God is behind that stone. That's not just going to be a stone. That's going to be the power of God bearing down on that giant, and that giant doesn't stand a chance. It, it would have been very human and very normal for David to sit on the sidelines of life and go, well, all I got's a couple stones. I can't do anything. And that's where we miss it as Christians. And that's why I want to encourage you folks tonight.
Because many of you, part of the reason why maybe you haven't done what you could do is because you didn't think it was enough. You didn't think your contribution, you, you didn't think your, you know, little talent or what, what you could contribute, or you didn't think it was very significant. And I'm just here to tell you, that's not true. Every one of you has a significant contribution to make to the body of Christ. Every one of you. And when you hear Satan tell you who's a liar, or someone else tells you, or you even tell yourself that I'm not doing this or that because it's just not big enough, it's just not significant enough, just slap yourself or slap them. It's not true. And you remind yourself and you tell yourself what the Word of God says. That there are no little people in God's eyes. There are no little gifts in God's eyes. There are no little talents in God's eyes. There are no little contributions in God's eyes. Every person who's a part of the body has a significant contribution and value to give to the body. And every one of you here tonight have that too. Don't stop doing what you can do. It will greatly enhance the body of Christ. Give what you have. Verse 13. For Paul says, For I do not say this so that there would be relief for others and suffering for you, but as a matter of equality. Very interesting. Paul says, Now as we talk especially about this whole thing about generosity, He says, we've got to remember a principle of God here. In our world throughout history, the rich usually get richer and the poor get poorer. And there usually is a growing gap between the haves and the have-nots down through history. In God's economy, with God's people, it's not supposed to be that way. Now, unlike what many people do when they approach passages like this and others, know the Bible, like in Acts, where they shared everything in... The Bible is not teaching communism. Communism is where everybody gives everything to the state and the state doles it out equally, which never happens anyway. But anyway, that's the definition of communism. No, no. The Bible never tells us as individuals to give up what we have privately. All God is saying, though, is this. If I'm in a position right now in a season of life where I have and I know that there is someone that God has brought me into contact that has have not, That instead of me using what I have to increase the distance between me and them, I need to use what I have to lessen that distance. That's what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that every Christian should drive the same kind of car. He's not saying that every Christian should live in the same kind of house. He's simply saying that as Christians who are allowing the grace of God to influence us so that we live in a generous way towards others, an open-hearted way towards others, that if I, at this point in my life, have come to a place where I have, and I know that there is someone who has not, I should use some of what I have to lessen the distance between the two of us. That's why even in, even in the Old Testament, God made provision for this with the nation of Israel. He told all the farmers, do not completely reap your whole field. Leave the corners of your fields for those who do not have as much as you do. 
God was always teaching his people. Don't take every blessing that I give you and just hoard it and use it for yourself so that you can get more. Use what I give you so that you can be more generous to others who don't have as much as you have. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, we're, we're not going to like put you in a position where we're not calling on others to do the very same thing. There is the matter of equality and fairness. And that's why Paul goes on in verse 14 to say, at the present time, your abundance will meet their need. That's amazing. The, the Corinthians really didn't have much either. But Paul says, whatever you had left over, guess what? Again, what little bit you can give, it's more than what they have right now. So they'll be thrilled with it. They'll be thrilled with it. But, but notice another principle here. In generosity, not only is there the principle of equality, there's the principle of reciprocity. Because Paul goes on to say, so that one day their abundance may also meet your need. See, Paul's reminding us, If you're in a position in life right now where you have and someone else doesn't, and you're able to be a channel of blessing and help them out a little bit, there might just come a point in life where you're, that role is reversed. And where now you're in a position where you need help, and they're now in a better position, and they're going to be much more willing to help you since you were willing to help them. That's why Paul earlier on says, Corinthians, it's to your advantage that you live this way. Because if, if you show your generosity to others, especially when you're struggling and hurting, don't you think they're going to remember you if they ever get to a better position in life and they find out that there's anything they can ever do for you? They're, you're going to be the first ones that they try to help. It's going to be to your advantage. Folks, that's why when we have needs in our life and we all are going to have seasons in our life where we have needs it takes a strong person not a weak person a strong person to say i need help we talked about that before the break doesn't matter what it is god doesn't expect any of us to go through life by ourselves in isolation that's why he made the body of christ that's why he built community into his plan and so there's going to be times where we have to say, and we have to be strong enough to say, I need help. And hopefully when we have those times in our life, we have some wonderful people in our life that will rally around us and say, I'll help. I'll help. But hopefully, too, there are situations and times in our life where when there's people in our life who are crying out for help, calling out for help, that we're willing to live in such an open-hearted way that we're sensitive to that, and that we rally around them to help them in any way that we can. Because it'll come back on us more than we could ever, ever imagine. In fact, notice Paul ends this portion tonight that I'm going to cover with verse... 15. He's quoting out of the Old Testament book of Exodus. And the background of this verse is that this is when they were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. 
And God every day was supplying the Israelites with manna from heaven, this supernatural provision in order to keep them alive during their wilderness wandering. That's the background when Paul, taken from the book of Exodus, writes, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And I think simply what Exodus, what Moses is saying there, and what Paul is picking up on is, it's not that some who went out and gathered manna didn't find that, that, well, maybe they had a little bit too much because God gave them a specific amount that they were to have for that day because God wanted them to trust Him to go back out the next day and get it. See, see, God wanted them to learn to be daily dependent upon Him. God didn't want the Israelites to go out one day and stock up for a week on manna. Got, I got enough manna for a week. I can make manna meatloaf on Monday, manna burgers on Tuesday, uh, manna chicken casserole on Wednesday, uh, you know. No, God, God wanted them just to take the amount of manna that they needed for that day. So I'm sure as they went out, some of them realized, oh, you know what, I got too much. And some were like, oh, we didn't get enough. And so this beautiful picture here of the ones who just gathered more than they needed for that day shared with those who didn't get enough until the next day. And the principle here is simply this. It's sort of the overarching principle of this entire passage we've looked at tonight. That God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. That's really what it is. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. That was true of the Macedonians. Even in their deep poverty and severe suffering they were begging to be a part of this collection because they felt blessed and because they felt blessed and knew they were blessed they wanted to bless others god wants us to receive his grace so that we come to know how blessed we are to be a people who can walk through life with the grace of God just flowing over us so that in turn we can take that grace and just let it flow into other people's lives. I just want to say to you folks tonight, and I can't tell you enough just what an encouragement and blessing you are to me. You have and always are an unbelievable blessing and encouragement to me. So when some of you say, oh, Jeff, you know, your your message was, was such a blessing, and thank you for doing what you're doing, it goes way back to you guys, because all of you who come here on Tuesday night just richly, richly bless my life, and I just want to bless you for being a blessing to me. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for reminding us, Lord, how richly blessed we are. And God, help us to take the blessing that you bestow upon us and give it out to others. Help us to follow the example of even the Jerusalem Christians who were willing to sacrifice so much to follow Jesus Christ. To follow the example of the Macedonian Christians 
who in spite of their great suffering and their deep poverty, they had been so blessed by God that they begged to be a part of blessing others. And God, thank you for the Corinthians who started the whole whole ball rolling a year earlier and who were living a life of overflow in many areas and Paul was just encouraging them and inspiring them to finish this one well, to finish it out. God, use this passage tonight to just encourage and inspire all of us with that second wind you want to give to us in order to keep us going and bring us back next Tuesday once again to get more of your breath of second wind in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, folks, it's been great having you here. Thanks for being here after the break. After the video is over, you guys are dismissed. Have a great week. I love you. I'll see you next week.